Hi there, welcome to this episode of The 10-Minute Leader. This is an episode that many of you are really gonna love because it's a unique episode compared to some of the other ones I've been doing. If you are a leader who has ever been wondering about the world of NFTs and blockchain and crypto and those kind of areas, he talks about that. He's an expert in those areas. Questions I ask him and the answers he gave really gave me a lot of great insights. So hopefully you'll learn something from that too. But secondly, if you are a company looking to scale and growing, maybe your startup, this guy's been involved in helping so many startups succeed. He gives some really good tidbits on how to grow from when you're beginning to what makes a difference with a company that's successful in regards to leadership. So Hussein Halak is the guest on this episode. Hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. It's going to be a little bit different. Instead of releasing this in chunks of time, in chunks of 10 minutes or 15 minutes, which is what I've been typically doing, I'm releasing this episode all at once. So you can experience it the way that I experience it in one solid episode. It's around 35, 40 minutes or so in total. Hopefully you get some really great insights. Enjoy the conversation that I had with Hussein and drop any questions you might have in the chat. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the 10 Minute Leader. I am just really excited for our guest today. His name is Hussein Halak and let me tell you a little bit about him and then I'll give Hussein you a chance to add any details as well. But uh, welcome here, by the way, to start with. Uh, that's my... <laughs> Listen, I'll spray you mittens if you stay. <laughs> totally, totally. How do I remove him? He's recently just loves to jump into on my back. Listen, hey, that makes it go. That makes it more fun. Yeah, he'll <laughs> jump back in, but I'm just gonna give him some warning. What's your cat's name? Mittens. Mittens. There you go. Okay, so He's that's my the first thing. Our, there you are. The listeners listening in. That's the first thing they'll learn about you. You have a daughter who has a cat. So yeah, I have a daughter and a son, and both of them have each have a cat. Mitts and mittens. They named. Okay. <laughs> no, nope. they don't get oh confused by the similar names. Yeah. So if you don't mind, he he'll jump in and do this. Kind that's of totally thing. fine. That's totally fine. Hard. That makes it interesting, right? For the video viewers of this, they're going to get yeah. the sneak peek at a cat. In the podcast. And this is totally new. Like, I don't know what I did to actually gain this kind of attention or affection, but it's just, uh, it's just happened. It yeah. won't stop. <laughs> Maybe your shirt smells like tuna or something. Who knows? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Hussein, let me just do a quick introduction for you. So from what I've been able to find from previous conversations that we've had, and also from some of the stuff I've done about the impact you've had online, you've kind of been embedded within the world of innovation, technology, and startups for like over 25 years. You've been involved in like so many different startups, mentored thousands of entrepreneurs. You've been involved in startup incubators, tech hubs. You've been featured in places like Forbes, Betakit, Daily Hive, CBC. And in 2019, I found this, you were recognized as one of 30 Vancouver tech thought leaders and influencers to follow. That's pretty cool. And yeah, you've been involved in many different companies. Kind of two that I'll highlight here, you're the founder and CEO of Next Decentrum. I'll give you a chance to share a little bit more about what that is, but I share about that. And also creative director of Crypto Pharaohs. Basically, you're an expert on anything to do that's around innovation, new technology, startups, and you actually teach on things like blockchain and NFTs and, and other new technologies as well to different executives and businesses. So welcome here. Oh, I, I was going to say too, you also play chess with your kids. You like good drama and science fiction, drawing, and every once in a while you play guitar. How does that introduction sound for you, Hussein? It's pretty close. It's a brilliant introduction. Uh, <laughs> why are you scratching me? <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> this is uh, hilarious and, <laughs> and interesting at the same time. So yeah, thank you very much for the introduction. And recently, for some reason, I think one of my talents is acquiring the love and affection of Mittens, this cat right here that is sitting and now like immovable. Whatever I do, he loves me more. I don't know what I did to do that. <laughs> I fed him too much, I think. 
So yeah. thanks for the introduction. Really happy to have this conversation. Looking forward to it. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, how about you start with giving me a 30 second summary of what Next Decentrum is and Crypto Pharaohs, what those companies are. All right. So Nexicentrum is a company that we started four years ago. I was really passionate about blockchain after learning about it. I love technology. And when I started learning about blockchain, I found out how hard it is to learn. So it was really difficult for somebody, even someone like me, who I studied engineering. I've been reading about technology all my life. And I'm, I think I'm pretty smart. <laughs> I have a high opinion myself. So it was very displeasing, to say the least, to feel dumb when I'm reading about blockchain. It's like, why is it so hard? Uh, so what that led is I thought I could add value along with my team to build a company that works in education in the blockchain space. So we started Next Central as a blockchain company for education. Then when NFTs kind of came about, we pivoted and I can talk a little bit later about deeper into why we pivoted mm -hmm. into building for an NFT platform, which is what we're doing right now. And our NFT platform called Momentable, and we released an NFT collection called Crypto Pharaohs. So that is kind of longer than 30 seconds, but that's a little bit about how I got here recently. Happy to dive deeper into any of those. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, as we go through, one of the things that I want to talk about, because you've used already terms like blockchain and NFTs, and, and you're probably familiar with things like cryptocurrency. And those kind of terms are terms that a lot of leaders in the business world these days, we've all heard them, right? We all have at least a basic understanding of what they are, mm -hmm. but very few people actually know more than just the basics, right? So yeah. what's important, like maybe give the Coles notes as to like, What's the simplest explanation as to what these kind of technologies are, what the value of them is for people? Like maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I think the biggest challenge with talking about these technology is they are hard technologies to figure out and to learn. And because they are early, it's like somebody's trying to teach you what the internet is going to be back in the 1990s. It's really hard because the biggest challenge is at the 1990s, somebody told you, hey, one day you can do content sharing and you do social media and you'll do sharing economy. These are what's possible. You're like, you can't wrap your head around that. You're trying to figure out how to buy something online and it's very complex. So it's similar to that. That's why it's complex. It's not because the technology itself, the technology itself is very complex, not unlike the internet being a very complex technology. Challenges, it's pretty early and a lot of the uses are just being figured out right now. So even the people that are figuring out, they haven't figured out how to explain it in such a way that makes it easier for the regular user who just wants the benefits. So it's like somebody trying to explain to you a car and say, this is 500 horsepower. It has, uh, you know, 2000 cc's. And you're like, if you like the car, but what does that all mean? And you right. want to reach a point where it tells you, no, that means you can overtake someone really quickly. It, it means, you know, you're safe, et cetera, et cetera. We haven't reached that stage yet. So to simplify it, blockchain technology is a technology that came along with the invention of Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency. And all of the technologies that are involved in Bitcoin were technologies that were created before, but there was never an elegant solution to put them all together. And the biggest challenge with putting such a solution together is how do you get multiple, multiple computers that are decentralized? They don't have a centralized node that is controlling their actions. How do you get them to collaborate and work together? It's a very, very hard problem to solve in computer science and to solve elegantly. Satoshi Nakamoto, he likes to mention a Bitcoin probably, Mittens. So Satoshi <laughs> Nakamoto figured it out, who we don't know who he is, figured it out with Bitcoin. 
and figure it out based on existing solutions. Like there was Bitgold that was invented 10 years before Bitcoin. There was WeDAI, which is another cryptocurrency that was, I think, a few years before Bitcoin. So there were attempts of doing that, but there was never someone that put it together and built it and released it to the world just like Bitcoin. So that's where it started. Quickly, people figured out that we can use it for far more than just Bitcoin. And because it's open source, they started taking the code playing with it, manipulating it. And that started the wave of innovation that happened because people started, what if we do this? What if we do that? The first thing they created, copy cryptocurrencies. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, can we build on top of it? Because since this is currency, we can build financial applications on top of it. So they started, they hit some snags and somebody came about and Vitalik Buterin invented Ethereum, which is a place where you can build applications on top of it. And suddenly we have this whole ecosystem where you can really build anything just like you would do with an app store or on the internet. And the sky is the limit for the lack of a better mm. way to explain it. And what that does is, first of all, you have ability to innovate because it's open. Anybody, literally anybody can take the code and just copy what everybody else is making mm. to start with, to create something. So that means if you have more, let's say, better sales skills and better entrepreneurial skills in taking something, packaging it and selling it, you get to win in the marketplace or to craft, to carve a portion of the marketplace. So that is what entrepreneurship is all about. Sometimes innovation in the marketing and sales, sometimes innovations in technology itself or finding a problem that is big enough to solve. And that's what people are doing right now. So that is why blockchain matters. That's a little bit about where it comes from. It's really taking similar technologies that we have right now, doing it in a decentralized manner that allows for removing control from certain actors, from sure. monopolizing these kind of services and apps. So from like, let's say a, an average business owner could be any type of business, like maybe not in the tech world, maybe not in, you know, kind of app development or whatever the case might be. What would be the most important thing for them to know about things like blockchain, crypto, how would it affect their business if they don't understand it? Maybe not now, but maybe it's going to affect them in five or 10 years from now. Like where are things going with this? I would say that they need to know just like they need to know about the internet. Now, when the internet first came about, not everybody needed a website because there wasn't enough people that were on the internet to be able to say, you know what, I need to build a website. And what that will do is that, let's say, we'll are missing out on an opportunity. Unless you're an entrepreneur that want to build the next big thing. You're not missing out on anything if you don't engage in blockchain. We're not talking about investment opportunities and sure. cryptocurrency as an asset. That's a completely different conversation. It has something to do with the technology, but then it becomes an asset. Whether its value increases or decreases in time, that's totally up to the market. So that's right. a different matter. That's a different opportunity, let's say, to look at it. But yeah. the opportunity of using the technology is still not there for regular people who have regular businesses. But if you're a tech entrepreneur and looking to build the next big thing, you cannot ignore the latest technology. You mm. can't build something with previous technology. You have to look at the latest technologies. And you have to look at them from the lens of, can they solve the problem that I'm trying to solve better, faster, cheaper? Can they offer different things? So you start with a problem that you're trying to solve for your customers or users, and then you see what technologies exist and how do they open up a new kind of approach to it, a new kind of innovation. I think that is the question that I need to ask. And sure. blockchain is certainly one of these technologies, especially if you're in the financial field or in a field that allows you want to connect people together by allowing them, let's say, more control over that mm -hmm. relationship. So 
creating a marketplace or creating, right. let's say, a transaction between people. Right. So for sure, for people in the tech sector, kind of app development, software development, blockchain will be as prevalent in that world as the internet is in every world now. Like at some point, it's just going to be integrated across everything, you think? 100%. Yeah. I think one of the best ways to think about it is right now, if you're locked into, let's look at Apple, for example, you buy something on the App Store. You're locked in. You buy something within a game, for example, you purchase an element, you're locked into that system that you're in. And let's say if they change their terms, they charge you more, you're stuck. But if you bought an item and that item is yours, why can't you take it with you wherever you go? Just like with real world items, for example, let's say this figurine is what I bought. I can pack it with me, take it with me wherever I go. But we're more and more living in a digital world. I buy, let's say, a digital version of that. It's not so transferable, especially if it has value. Now, if it doesn't have value, if it's just an image, then it's just digits and I can have it on my computer and transfer it. But if it has value, it's usually connected to the system. To give you an example, stock market. Stock, for example, if I buy a stock from somewhere, let's say from the New York Stock Exchange, I can't take that stock and sell it on the London Stock Exchange. It doesn't have value there because it's not part of that ecosystem. I have to sell it on that stock exchange. If I have, let's say, a certain asset, let's say an art or an artifact, if it becomes digital, I can't move it anywhere. If it's, let's say, let's take a marketplace, let's say deviant art or something, and it's part of their ecosystem, I can't simply take it anywhere. With digital elements and with blockchain, I can have a single source of truth, a single database that let's say several marketplaces can connect to it and I can move my asset from marketplace to marketplace Mm. because the proof that I own it doesn't only exist in a database that is isolated with that marketplace. It exists in a database outside of it, which is the blockchain that I can connect to. So all of these marketplaces are connected to that and they take their information from that database. So they know I'm the owner without having registered with them ever. Now I have to go from, let's say, whenever I go to a new website, I have to register and prove to them who I am. And then I have to go through certain processes. That is not the case with blockchain. So it creates a world where it's easy for mobility of finances. It's easy for mobility of assets. It's easy for mobility of identities for people between different marketplaces, between different properties online. And hence, that's why the metaverse has started, because it's a place where you can live online. Now, if you want to live online, if you want to have your items moved from one place to the other, and you want to own them and you want to prove that ownership, there was no way to do that before. You're reliant on the provider. Now you can rely on the blockchain and you can take your assets wherever you go. You're unhappy with a certain provider. You just Hmm. pick up your stuff, just like you would move in the real world. Right. It's fascinating. That is. We cannot cannot wrap our heads around that because we're trying to think of the new world of how we lived in the old world and it's different. Yeah, it'll be completely different, you know, even five years from now, 10 years from now, like people are going to look back in conversations like this and be like, wow, like that was so basic or that was so off or that was so different because it's going to be so different, right? Like you have a much better understanding than I do, of course, right? But just kind of the, it's a different world we're getting into. Yeah. The biggest thing I think in that world is that in many ways is different than what we have. And in many ways it's similar. The people's Mm -hmm. needs are still the same. So for example, right now, the world that we're in, which is NFTs, a lot of people say, well, how does this have value? Or why would anybody buy something? And there's a philosophical kind of approach and there's people try to find value. If I tell you, let's say I'll show you this thing, okay? I tell you about it and say, I picked this up for say from a toy store next to our home. I liked it, so I bought it. Okay, 
maybe it's worth $10. You might say, oh, I like it. It looks good. I'll buy it for $10. But if I tell you this particular piece is made by one of the top anime artists in the world, and it's one of 10 that exists in the world, your perception of the same item, I didn't change anything. I just changed the narrative and the story. Your perception, and if I tell you that this is worth $1,000, you wouldn't think I'm crazy that I paid for it. There's Mm. a 10 exist and it's like the top person. So that is how people function. (laughs) We don't function logically. Most of our decisions are emotional. So Mm. if we want to evaluate the value of something, there's a lot of stuff that are valuable to you that will be worthless for somebody else. Like the books that I have behind me, My wife always like beats me up about that and say, I took those books and I moved them when I moved from Dubai to Vancouver. It cost me like $3,000 to move those. I'm like, my wife's like, what? you're crazy. Why are you spending $3,000 to move these books? I said, because I value them. And somebody else would think I'm an idiot to do that. Right. Somebody thinks like, oh yeah, of course, I'll spend even more. So what we value differs between one and the other. Right. This is, shows up in our taste of music, taste of art, a taste of podcast. And that is why NFTs are so fascinating because it's not about the NFT itself. NFTs are just a technology that enables you to own something in the digital world. It's a sure. proof of ownership. That's it. Now, what do you want to own? That is has to do with all the tastes. So it's not NFTs that made something has value. These things had value for us. But for buying something online and say, I own it right now, it's meaningless because a million people can own it. But now I can prove that only 10 of these exist. million right. people can see it. So if you put this podcast on YouTube, 100,000 or million people can see it but only you are the owner that benefits from the monetization, for example, Right. that you can, let's say when a channel exists, you can sell your business. A lot of YouTubers reach the point where they are like a media house and they sold their YouTube channel, even though their videos are free and available to millions right. of people, they could sell their channel to a media property and they got millions of dollars for it. Hmm. So this is the difference between possession and ownership. Now, right now, these assets online, you don't possess it. They're available for everyone, but you're the owner. So you benefit Hmm. from the increase in price or the bragging rights. That is what, for example, Board API Club is all about. It's bragging rights. You belong to a club that all the cool people belong to. Hmm. How much is that worth? For me, like, I don't care. But for somebody (laughs) else, like they would care enough to pay a certain amount of money which they do in the real world for other stuff that I don't care about as well. Well, and I love when we had our first conversation a while ago, I asked you about, you know, NFTs and I loved your answer then, and and maybe you can reflect it back, but I asked about like, Hey, it's just people invest in NFTs. And I liked how you reframed it and saying that there's other reasons that NFTs are worthwhile, not just trying to make it like, don't buy them as an investment. Maybe share with me a little bit more on that. Like why would someone buy an NFT? I think at the moment right now, some people may consider them as an asset and they like traders. So good for them. I think if you're entering into NFTs, just know that just like cryptocurrency and other stuff, they are more now, maybe cryptocurrency a little bit more because there is some fundamentals and you can look at them and you can analyze them if that's what you're into, like if you're a trader. But if the interest is just making money, I think you will likely to lose more than to win. You may hit a lucky break. There's a lot of people who hit a lucky break, but a lot of it is luck. Like if you look back at any of the board API club or any of the big, let's say collections, world of women, all of these, it was a lucky break that they succeeded. You can take the same blueprint and apply it 
and it will not work. And this is the closest thing I can relate to it is the startup world. In the startup world, investors who invest in startups know that a lot of them will fail. So they make multiple bets. So they invest in 20, 30, 40 startups because they know 30 of them, for example, will fail. So five of them will do well, and maybe one or two will be a breakthrough that returns, you know, a thousand X or something like that. So if you're not into that kind of mindset, please don't invest. Don't think of NFTs as investment. Instead, look at them as like you would like to own anything else. Like my, this is Grandizer, by the way. I love it. It's from my childhood. So for me, if the owner of or the creator of Grandizer came up with NFTs, I would be lining up to buy it because Mm. it means something for me. So the question is, why are you buying something? Art is is more about why you're buying it for yourself. Unless you're a rich person and willing to put in money and that's hedge, you know, uh, for you, art is an investment. And in addition to taste, probably you're going to buy two or three, let's say, or 10. If you're buying that many and it's not a lot, you need to buy them because what if they lose their value? What if they're not an asset anymore? At least you don't end up with something you think is ugly (laughs) and you don't like. You want to end up with something that you actually love and have a reason for it because then the money doesn't matter because you say, I got it because I wanted to get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important that you need to have a reason, personal reason for why to get into True. something that is new and risky because people will tell you that you're an idiot for doing this. <laughs> sure. People yeah, no, will, always, will always point to things that they don't understand, say that yeah. you're, somebody's an idiot or somebody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, how many years ago was it before computers even became common where people were saying, oh, computers will never be something that people will use, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the challenge with NFTs is that people have very little grasp around something that is not tangible. I hear the conversation all the time. At least if you bought a piece of art, you have it. Yeah, but it's the same feeling, like even if I have it, but I don't like it. Let's say, let's follow the scenario. I bought a piece of art. I don't like it, but I thought I'm going to make money. And it doesn't make money. I end up with a piece of art. It's tangible, but I hate it. Right. What's the difference between buying a digital piece of art that I also hate it and I bought it for the money and it's lost its value? I end up with it. Yeah, it's a file on my desk and this one is taking up space and I want to throw it away. Like it doesn't feel better because it's tangible. One of the biggest examples that I started giving is music. When you release Mm. music, most of the music that we used to hear before now is digital, but before we used to hear it on the radio for free. Mm. We hear the music, everybody hears the music for free. And the more the music is played, the more people have access to it for free. The person who owns it, the writers, the musicians, they make more money because more people go to their concerts, more people are willing to pay for the merch, more people, you know, send them money. And right now, downloads are the same. You can download any kind of music for free, similar to NFTs. Anybody can get them for free. They can watch them, they can see them, but only if you can own them. And the more people want them, like right now, everybody knows Board Ape Yacht Club. So the more people know them, the more the likelihood of their value to increase. Sure. Yeah, that's it. I like that metaphor. People can understand, wrap their heads around the music scenario, right? And understand that value there. That makes sense to me. You explained it really well. So thank you. I want to switch and talk a little bit about startups in the startup Mm -hmm. world and just get your thoughts on the difference between a startup that makes it and those that fail. What do you think are the one or two or three kind of core things that tip the scales? Yeah, luck is a key element. (laughs) I think we don't talk about it enough. Some 
entrepreneurs started to talk about it because we have this image of success that success is somehow your responsibility. And in many ways, you can actually prepare for success and do the right things, which we're going to talk about. I think one of the things that has not talked about as much is luck. A lot of times you have all the right thing and you just don't hit a lucky break. For example, if we were to launch our collection, you know, a year and a half ago or a year ago, we may have hit a lucky break, just like Board API Club. But now we're launching our collection in different market. And people that are launching their collection right now are finding it harder and harder to market. The market is far more saturated. Mm. It's the same thing that they're doing. They're doing the same thing that the other person's doing. The timing is different. So luck is for startup is timing is key. So luck is mostly timing. And timing is something you don't control. So it get to hear about something like, for example, when NFTs blew up, we were ready. I was very much into blockchain. I've worked in art for the past 20 years of my life. I built the largest marketplace for Middle Eastern art in the world back in 2006. So I knew art very well. I knew blockchain very well. So for me, NFTs, I saw immediately the vision that this is not going away. I know this is a long-term investment. So I jumped in and said, okay, it doesn't matter if we're not going to build in time to catch the early, early market. The market's still going to be early three years from now. So unless I had that kind of understanding and I didn't plan it, like I didn't go into blockchain so that one day that will happen. I go into it because I liked it. I didn't plan, you know, 20 years of being invested and interested in the arts and culture. So these are things you can't plan. So a lot of elements have to do with luck. What you need to do is you need to, in my opinion, it's called like taking a lot of shots. I think one of the key things that you need to do as an entrepreneur and what company needs to do is to make sure you're always doing something in the terms of Launch Academy, we say, get shit done. So always what you're doing is you are doing something rather than sitting around thinking of what will be a success, Mm -hmm. trying to architect and trying to strategize to design success because it will never happen. Mm -hmm. Success is the result of you continuing to do stuff, learning through the process, and maybe one day suddenly you hit that lucky break. Mm -hmm. So the more shots you take at it, the more learning you get so that your shots are better, the better aim you get. And one day you knock it out of the park. One day you might not, by the way. Like that's the big thing about startups because there are so many components. First of all, you need to find a big problem to solve. Then you have to get the user. You have to find the users that are willing, that have that problem and that are willing to pay for it. And now that you have that, you have to make sure that your product fulfills that in the best way possible. Because of course, if there's a big problem and there's a big market, you can bet that there's a ton of people trying to solve that problem. It's not just you. So then, so you're dealing with competition. Then you have to raise enough money or generate enough revenue for you to build a company because in order to deliver requires that you build a company. Now that you've done that, now you need to deal with the pains of growth, marketing, sales, because once people see that you're successful, you can bet that they're going to raise money and they're going to come attack your marketplace. So more competition increase. So you have all of these things that you have to figure out. That's a lot of stuff to figure out. There's not just one. You have to figure out a ton of stuff. And in addition to that, you're still human. You have time to work, you have family, you have to work with teams and, you know, team dynamics, you have to become a better leader. None of that you prepared. Maybe you just started like, wouldn't it be cool to build this thing? And suddenly you're leading a company and you're not getting to do the stuff that you love. Like 80% of the stuff that you're doing is mundane day-to-day stuff. It's really hard to get a startup up and running. That doesn't mean to discourage you, but that actually means that just know what you're getting yourself into. It's like the same thing when you play basketball or soccer or any kind of sports. The championship, when you hold that cup, is one moment in time. 
But if you look background, there are days on end, years on end of you grueling exercises and training and playing and losing and taking shots and losing out. What is it? Michael Jordan said he missed like 70% of the shots he took. Mm. And that's Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. these are things that are not talked about enough. We just see the successes. We just see those moments of success. We don't see the hard work. Having worked mm. with a ton of entrepreneurs, I've seen the hard work, the failures, the frustrations. You can't prepare yourself for that. What you can do is take that and try it again and try it again. Just know that it's like a game. You just try again. You die. Well, your character dies in the game. And then you try again <laughs> and you try again. Hopefully what you do knowing that is... You try to build it in such a way that you can come back. So what is the biggest mistakes that people do? For example, investing all their life savings in that. I made that mistakes before, and I know that right now not to do it. So Mm -hmm. because it's very hard to come back, it takes a long time to come back from that. Took me three years to rebuild from that bottom that I reached because I didn't prepare for, oh, it might fail. I had like, oh, it's definitely going to succeed. I'm never going to fail. That's a sure sign that you're going to be screwed if you fail. So you want to prepare for the failure and expect it and know that it's part of the process. And therefore you're ready to stand up again. So that's like a rebound. It didn't hit, you know, and you just completely take the ball again and shoot it. You have to be ready for that. If you shoot it, it's like, okay, it's definitely going to be in. You're going to lose all the games. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. I like how you talk with that because I think a lot of companies go into it maybe with, I don't know, with blinders on where they think that they've got it figured out. They're the solution. They're going to make it. They've got the perfect perfect solution, right? And they forget that there's a lot of factors that can play into it. There's a lot of challenges, tough things that are going to be a part of it if they make it. Mm -hmm. 100%. This is kind of as we wrap up, I want you to maybe share a little bit on the idea of being innovative. A lot of people watching this are leaders in their organization. Some of them are leaders in the tech world. Some of them are leaders in other businesses. Lots of businesses say that they are innovative, right? Our core value, one of our core values is innovation or whatever the case is. What do you think of when businesses do that or where are businesses not being innovative, even though they say they are? How can they do better at that? Let me start by saying I was one of that. Like I love the word innovation. I love what it stands for. So I used it haphazardly everywhere. I think understanding what innovation is. So I used to think I mixed innovation and invention, like creating stuff that are new. Innovation is really, it's newness available in multiple ways, sometimes in the way you deliver something. So it's an old thing, but the way you deliver it is a little bit innovative, new. It's really about what are the core elements in your business and how do you impact them in such a way that it distinguishes you from the rest, gives you a 10x win. So the best way to establish innovation is to look at the business model canvas or the lean canvas. What that gives you is the different segments of your business. You look at not only the product, because most people associate innovation with the product, but you can innovate in how you deliver the product. You can innovate in how you cater to your customers. For example, Zappos innovation is that they cared about their customers enough to spend eight hours on a phone call and go out of their way to serve them. They've probably done other things that are innovative, but they were selling shoes. There's Mm -hmm. nothing, you know, really, really unique about that, but the way they've done it is really unique. So a, a lot of times searching for innovation everywhere means that you're innovative. And I think being open to new ways of doing things and new ideas, not just because they're new, but because their impact 
is something you want to achieve. So I had a mug that said, we've always done it this way. <laughs> so <laughs> are you willing to let go of we've always done it this way? Like it's scary because if you've always done it a certain way, you're sure that you get certain results. So how do you approach getting new results? And how do you do it in such a way that you don't destroy existing business, <laughs> but over time, the most innovative businesses are businesses that cannibalize their own business model, Amazon, Apple. And yeah, we can talk about them aside from them being behemoth companies. But what got them to be that is them kind of cannibalizing their own business. If you look at Apple, they never compare themselves. I mean, sometimes they compare themselves to others, but they usually issue stuff. They issue products that render their own products obsolete. So that is the key thing. Are you disrupting your own business or are you waiting for the competition to push you to it or the market to push you to it? That is what innovation, are you always looking for better, not because you have to, but because you can, and because it is essential to who you are as a person, as a leader, as a company. I think that's when you're truly innovative, not just the word, but how you go about doing things. That is it for me. And that's how we were a company that's doing education. And suddenly we saw the opportunity and we saw what we can do. And we saw that that's a continuation of our vision, that we've always looked for something to do and to deliver to others. And we say the NFTs is the first product that is a user-driven product in the blockchain ecosystem that users can easily use and trade and buy and sell. And they would understand it eventually. So we jumped in and we used what we accumulated as education to power our work. So being able to pivot like that, you can imagine like the team, yeah. <laughs> you have to have a very close knit team that are open for ideas. And there was a resistance at the start, but we got around to it and we tried different approaches and then we landed on what we're doing right now. Hmm. You know, Hussein, I really love this conversation and I'm sure we could probably chat about these kind of things forever. Maybe I'll have to have you back in the future, maybe the next season of my podcast to talk further about things. I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it because you've helped me understand a lot of these concepts a lot more, even for my own business and my own leadership development company, the idea of being innovative. What does that mean for me? Give me some good things to think about there, which I'm going to continue to delve into. I always like to ask one fun question at the end of these conversations. So you said that you like to binge on good drama and science fiction. So what's the science fiction that you recommend others binge on that's... I don't know. Oh, your favorites? Your... I haven't been. Well, of course, if you haven't seen Matrix, that's definitely, I would watch all the series. Okay. Uh, I keep rewatching them. Like that, I keep binging on them. Yeah. What, is, yeah. what is something I've been watching recently? Foundation is very interesting. I found it okay. like a, it's a very interesting concept that I'm watching on, I think, Apple, Apple TV. Okay. So Foundation is a cool one. I think that's it for now. Like most of what I watch right now is crime thrillers. Okay. Just putting them in the background and when I have time. Yeah, of course. Well, you're a busy guy. You're involved in a lot of different things. So <laughs> good. Well, Hussein, I, I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Great questions. And thank you for bearing with mittens. I think that, that changed. Yeah. Maybe I'm the only guest that had a cat that does that. And now see, That's he first ignores time. me completely. He's not here. Yeah. So I got, <laughs> he made he his got presence his known. Exactly. He got his fame on camera and then he wrapped things up. So uh, thanks again, Hussein. Thanks for everyone who's watching this. Hopefully you learned something good as well. And stay tuned for more episodes in the future. Thanks for watching this episode of The 10-Minute Leader. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I had fun recording it with Hussein. As always, if you are a leader, be intentional with your leadership. Don't leave it up to chance. Think of ways where you can grow, where you can bridge that gap between where you are and where you know that you can be in order to grow your influence and grow your impact. Tune in for more episodes of The 10-Minute Leader to help you do that.